0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 416 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hello, Adam. How's it going? Good. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm good. You got to hang out in a warm place. For-
0: not really. It was not great weather. Oh, really? Yeah, it was like super overcast. I was in Florida, for our listeners, uh, on the East Coast side of Florida, and it was, yeah, it was, it was not great.
1: Yeah. But you were there for a wedding, right? It was, so that was fun. That'd be fun. Yeah. Um... So today's episode is another interview with our lovely friend Marie Benedict. Yeah. I think I said if we had a professional book nurse, like, Hall of Fame, she'd be the first name in there. She would. Um, She's in the office, and we got to hang out for a long time. Um, So we're talking about her new book, Lady Clementine, and... If you stick around to the end of the episode, she talks about her new upcoming book, which is amazing.
0: So excited for it. (laughs) I'm I'm so in.
1: Um, And before we get to that, if people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that?
0: They can visit our website, uh, professionalbooknerds.com. From there, you have all of our social links. We are on Instagram and Twitter at ProBookNerds. And you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com.
1: Yes, you can. And speaking of our Twitter, <clears throat> I just want to give a shout out to a bunch of people. So randomly, I was, I was looking for Twitter content last week. And sure. it was the 31st. And I asked everyone how their January reading went and what was the best thing they read. And so I just want to give a few shout outs to people because we got so many responses. And I'm definitely going to ask this at the end of every month because it's fun. Um, first things first, I think everyone loves Dear Edward, which I read as well. And we talked about it at the beginning of January. Yes. Um, so many people like it. Uh, so like, of the like 35 answers I think we got, like eight of them were Dear Edward. So um, that's a quick shout out. And then I will say, um, let's see, Angie told us that she read Know My Name, um, which is, she used our hashtag, our PBN Read twenty twenty. So I don't know what she's using it for. Um, Roxanne said that she did a graphic novel. My favorite thing is monsters, um, and she also loved Priest Daddy by Patricia Lockwood. Oh yeah,
0: mm-hmm. that's a good one. Uh huh.
1: And so she said the graphic novel was for uh, PBN Read twenty twenty, which is really cool. Um, Hannah, who works here, <laughs> uh, she Hi, said, Hannah. "Hi Hannah." She said uh, she loved "I'll Give You the Sun" by Jandy Nelson, and uh, "Love from A to Z." By S. K. Ali, um, there's so many of them. I'll put the link to the tweet in there. But uh, I just I like to see people that didn't just read like books that came out in January. Like somebody said that they were uh, reading a whole bunch of Kurt Vonnegut, which is very cool. Cat's um, Cat's Cradle was one that they really enjoyed. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, I didn't know that there was a book called I Am C three PO.
0: Yeah, that's the one by Anthony Daniels.
1: You're right. Did that Did that come out like? Recently, I think you yes. talked about this now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah.
0: He does the audiobook. I'm pretty sure I mentioned it in whatever episode. You our. super did.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, got a couple of people saying that they love Ninth House by Leigh Bardugo. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, Melissa, who is a frequent um, buddy who sends us messages all the time, said that she read 13 books in January, wow. which is amazing. Um And her favorite one was The Subtle Art of Not Giving a French Toast. Um not going to actually drop the F bomb yeah, on her. Yeah, podcast. no, I got it. But she said that she read it on Libby, which is why I wanted to give her a shout out. Uh, Picture Us in the Light by Kelly Lloyd Gilbert and With the Fire on High by Elizabeth Acevedo. There's so many of them in here. Somebody said that they read 18 books. Apparently, they need to take over our job.
0: Apparently. Wild.
1: Um,
0: what was the best book you read in January?
1: What was the best book I read in January? I really did like Dear Edward. Um, I, it's, it's a bit depressing, but it's really, really good. Um, I mean, it's about a kid who survives a plane crash. So, um, yeah, I think the best thing I was, is two for upcoming episodes. The Glass Hotel by Emily St. John Mandel, which comes out in March, which was just amazing. She wrote Station Eleven. And then, um, there's a book called Kent State coming out by Deborah Wiles, and it's mm-hmm. to celebrate the 50th anniversary of everything that happened in Kent, and as I think I mentioned previously, both my parents were there when it happened. So that one was – so the way that it's written is amazing. So what about you? What best thing you read?
0: Uh, it's a toss-up between Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead and Little Fires Everywhere by Celestine. Oh, if you right. were listening a couple weeks ago, there was, like, one book I could not remember that I was reading. It was Little Fires Everywhere.
1: Yeah, because I think you and I, and now me alone – the last people in the world to not have read that yet. Oh,
0: yeah, 100%. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Like, we are just, we're those two. Um,
0: Which is funny because it's set in the Cleveland area uh, in Shaker Heights, which, um, how to describe Shaker Heights? Um, It's a very upper-class white community. Yeah. Um, I did not grow up in Shaker, but I grew up in a suburb very similar to Shaker. And... I can tell you, reading "Little Fires Everywhere," I was like, oh, "Okay, this, this could have taken place in my hometown." Uh-huh. And uh, when I put that on Instagram, I had many, many a classmate tell me that they thought the exact same thing yeah. while reading it. So
1: amazing! Yes. You know what? The best book I read this in January that is available is "Homegoing," because you told me. See, to. I told you. You told me. I was, it's so good. It's so freaking good, and it it broke my heart. Um, which most of the book... I read a lot of sad books. Those are
0: some... Yeah, those are some depressing books. I
1: know. <laughs> like, the lightest thing I read was The Witches, which we've discussed that is not this really. Month. It's not light. Wow. The mice stay mice. Um, okay. Anything else you think people should know about?
0: I think that's everything.
1: I think that's everything, too. All right, well, I will let you guys enjoy this wonderful conversation with our good old friend, Marie Benedict. Um, professional book nerds podcast hey everybody it's adam and jill and we are super excited because we are joined once again by new york times best-selling author of the other einstein the only woman in the room and carnegie's maid and her latest novel which is out now lady clementine marie benedict who if we had like a Special Bookners Hall of Fame, you would be like one A with a bullet.
2: I'd be so excited to be on that. That's true. Is
1: your I f- would love that fourth time on the show. We decided. You guys are
2: so nice to not be sick of me after <laughs> four times. No,
1: we don't see you enough.
2: Anytime. time. Why sick of you? You have yeah. to ask. Just ask. I'm just like literally. It's practically like I live in the. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. I was just gonna say this. You are definitely the only person. I I don't know that anyone's been on four times other than you. First off, and I that's
0: probably
2: true.
1: Definitely don't think anyone's been in the office. Absolutely more not. than once. You...
2: I am like a regular here. You're, I feel like you
1: you're regular here. We were just talking I'm going to see you at ALA literally I'm in a week. Assuming we can all get there or sit it's going to start <sighs> storming and things. Seriously. Ooh. Well, here anyway. Actually, you drove here. We're in Cleveland. Yes. Hi. We're Hi. in Hi. Cleveland.
2: Hello, Cleveland. I live in Pittsburgh. You
1: live in Pittsburgh. So you drove here for an event tonight. Are yeah. you going to be are you driving back?
2: I am tonight. Okay. Ooh, have fun. Uh-oh. What's it's the forecast? I don't know. I'm just saying, have fun. I mean, what time is it?
1: Well, my to wife was supposed to be on a flight tonight and it got canceled. Already? Yeah, it was supposed to go out at eight to Chicago. But was it the, Chicago weather or
0: Cleveland? Weather? I think it's sure. the
1: Chicago weather that's I'm, coming here. Because
2: I got to get ahead of
1: that. I know.
2: Oh, jeez. What time is your event? It's at seven, but now I'm thinking. Oh, it shows one a.m. Oh, you'll
0: be fine. Oh, you should be Sorry, fine. Sorry, I just
1: scared you for no reason. Oh my god.
0: It's overnight, but according to my app, it's 1 a.m. It starts snowing. But I wonder why the Chicago flight.
1: Place. I think it's already bad there. Okay.
0: And
2: all there, right. Be Hopefully it doesn't it. Like, hasten its way. Well, yeah, it is coming this true. way.
1: And she's flying out tomorrow morning now. And I'm like, well, that flight's not going to happen.
2: That doesn't make any sense. I'm looking sense. forward
1: to waiting, being my wife's chauffeur waiting to drop her off at the airport all day tomorrow. It's gonna that
2: be sounds really cool. awesome. As you constantly check apps on flights. Yep. It's
1: going to be so much and fun. And more Accurate. Anyway, you wrote another book.
2: Speaking I of did. Wives, go ahead. <laughs> Speaking of wives, we got a we got a wife here on our hands. We got Clementine Churchill, right? We yeah.
1: do. I, I mean, you're the one who did you just asked us. It. Yeah, <laughs> we read it. You read it. We know
2: what your book's about.
1: Yeah. What's it about?
2: What's she well, all about? Well, you guys have heard of this. I hope you've heard of him. He's this English politician, not super well known, but you guys are well read. <laughs> His name is Winston. I think I've Churchill. Heard of him. I think. Yeah. You know, he's kind of a well-known political figure from World War II. Yeah, it's about his wife, Clementine. Not Clementine. 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 This whole I read the whole Clementine. book saying Clementine. In your head. I know it. I calling her an orange. I thought it was Clementine, too, until I was, of course, doing my research. You know, I love my research. And part of the way through, I learned that she was giving a speech to a bunch of American soldiers. And they were singing, of course, My Darling Clementine to her. As might also ring your head. And she's like, excuse me. That's a great song but it, my name doesn't rhyme with Valentine and all the other yes. things. Oh my god right it's Clementine huh My
1: yeah, darling Clementine doesn't have the same I know doesn't
2: have the same punch yes yeah. but she was as with all my ladies she was amazing she was an amazing person
1: powerful and She what I liked about her story is like super early on, I f- I feel like the through line of all of the ladies that you discuss is one they are just extremely smart they're extremely yeah. extremely smart yeah uh, but she i like the on in the book and of course that made it there for early on in her life right <laughs> tracking how these mm. things work we,
2: we got a couple decades going she
1: on yeah but i love that she basically early i was like i want to be a part of all of this
2: right She just plunged right in. It was amazing. So she, you know, I always like to describe her as, you know, there's that awful adage behind every great man is a great woman, Uh which is one of my, I really dislike that. Yeah. Really dislike it, but she was not behind anybody. She was right, she was a partner. She was right there next to him. She was in front of him. She was dragging him along half the time. She really helped shoulder the mantle of leadership with him. Um, but because her time period wouldn't allow her mm. to kind of rise up and have any political power, she had to do it behind the scenes. And she did do it. You know, one of the reasons I wrote the book is because I read this quote early on that his, Winston, that political guy we're talking about, um, Winston Churchill's <laughs> chief of staff, General Pug Ismay, who was... that's a great name pug ismay i'm sure that was his given name because yeah. every mother names her child <laughs> pug it's really <laughs> yeah, good it's a good, good sign for the future um pug who was at winston's side throughout world war ii is quoted as saying and i love this without clementine churchill the history of winston churchill and the history of the world would have been a very different story
1: Oh, that's really
2: good. Isn't that great? I'm like, here's somebody who, who was on the inside. There are not, not that many people who were that close sure. to the center of action. Mm-hmm. And he knows that not only was she like a force to be reckoned with, that she made an enormous impact. I just love that.
1: Well, there's so much like she does all the reading of all of the... Speeches. Like, all the speeches. Not only that, but like all of the... I can only imagine super dry materials, like, for Parliament to, like, stay up.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: On everything. Yeah, she was, again, was like, with all the ladies, right? Like, she didn't get this, this credit, but just everything. Yeah. I don't know, it just struck me how he, I did appreciate the relationship. Like, obviously, there was ups yeah. and downs, but I appreciated where he kind of always was, like, okay,
2: help like right yeah what's what's amazing about like what's amazing about their relationship which is so different than say the relationship in the other Einstein which Mm -hmm. was about Albert Einstein's first wife is that he at the beginning like Albert he invites her into his world right they kind of connect right from the start over this passion for politics the beginning, passion for liberal politics, the women's right to vote, um, liber- sort of humanitarian issues, and that, well, that changes over time. He invites her in and she goes for it 100%, and she carves out this really big role for herself, and that, no matter what variations in politics they have over the years, because he goes back to being a conservative, she's never a conservative, she's always a liberal, which I think is interesting. I mean, you have a marriage of two people with very different political views in some ways, and yet they still make, maintain that partnership throughout. Mm-hmm. And he always said of her, he thought that she was the noblest person he'd ever met. And as a result, he always looked to her for guidance, no matter what was going on. You know, Whether he's just a parliamentarian or Lord Admiral or Home Secretary like he was in the First World War, whether he's totally out of power like he was in those wilderness years mm-hmm. in the 1930s. Whether he's Lord Admiral all over again and Prime Minister, as he is in World War Two, she's filling the same core role, you know, of advising, guiding on policy, helping him with staff matters, which, as you can imagine, he was atrocious with. <laughs> speech writing, which he always really relied on her. Um, she listened to all the speech, vetted them. But as I kind of feel like with each role, she created more responsibilities mm-hmm. for herself mm-hmm. and she didn't invite anybody she didn't wait for anybody to invite her right. she was just like this needs to be fixed yeah this is a hot mess you know just like something not that it's small but you know take the the air raid shelter situation mm-hmm. during world war ii i mean her her people and again it all kind of goes back to her core values you know her people the working class people of london were being bombed 10 to 14 hours a night they were li- for months they were living in if you were wealthy, you might have your own air raid shelter, but mm. otherwise, you're sleeping on the railroad track, mm-hmm, the tracks, mm-hmm. and the underground. There's no toilets, no beds, there's nothing. It's like she can just see disease outbreak all over the place. And everybody else is concerned with the war. Mm-hmm. They're not really as concerned as they should be with what's happening on the ground with the people. And she's like, okay, let's fix this, let's take care of that. And that's just like one tiny example of yeah. so many things that she well, had a
1: hand in. Even in that particular example, I remember. This might be something that she wrote in, maybe something that she found, but like they go up to the top of their building and they're like standing there and like they hear the sirens and like Winston's just kind of looking out. And even that one moment, she's like, hey, right, idiot. Uh,
2: that's I a know, real moment, FYI. It's real? Okay. <laughs> that's totally real. That was like the the war had just been declared. It was yeah. the fir- very first siren. Yeah. And they're on the top of the building watching stuff happening. And he's like, doo-doo-doo. And I mean, (laughs) that's yet another example of her something else that she did throughout, which was basically time and time again save his life. Yeah, Whether it's literally like in that scene where she's literally pulling him out of the train tracks Mm -hmm. before a train literally slices him in half. Or it's more figuratively, you know, helping resuscitate his career. Mm -hmm. Really restoring his reputation. I mean so many times she's in the thick of it, literally saving him, mm-hmm. time and time again. And I, I mean I think that, you know, kinda goes back to that quote by good old Pug Ismay that you know that,
1: that's my favorite name.
2: <laughs> right? It's so good. So great. So good. Um, that, you know, she the history of the world would have been different. Mm-hmm. I mean I often think what where would our world be? You know, people always say, Well, Winston Churchill was really our savior. But it's not just Winston. right? It's where would our world be without Winston and Clementine? Because
1: mm-hmm.
2: he wouldn't be there without her. And a lot of the stuff that he, we mark him as being mm-hmm. responsible for, she had a hand in.
1: Well, there's, just, there's so many times when, like, there's so many small things, like you said, that mm-hmm. could have gone differently. Oh, that... endless
2: times. Like, how about just during the Blitz? Mm-hmm. You know, he would go out, during, sneak out during the blitz here's the prime minister during war bombs everywhere he's going out with one driver nobody else in an unarmored vehicle that's fine to inspect you know that's his fine. his staff is beside themselves mm-hmm. he will not listen to anyone he's going to go out there he needs to be a part of it the only person who can guide him towards any sense of semblance of safety is Clementine because you know what she's going to go mm-hmm. she's like i well, if he won't behave, which he wouldn't, <laughs> I know he's not going to put me in harm's way, so I'll be, I'll be right there. And so she, there she is in her nightgown at 2 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> going to bomb sites. I mean, how many other wives of political leaders were doing things like that? Yeah.
1: Or, or even now. Like, oh, or, or now. Especially
2: now. Oh, right. I mean, they're so layered up with security. I'm not saying that that's not necessary, but she was, she was right there for other people always well and what struck
1: me about the relationship then is like age they travel so much constantly so much travel um there's a part where she goes to like hunt komodo dragons
2: oh yeah that was her this, escape this, from this her husband actually.
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, yeah i was just I mean, gonna say those were you know, some
2: dark days well, and the komodo dragons looked pretty good yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, do you want to spend another minute with this man who's...
2: Well, spiraling so, out of control. Or Yeah. Your target practice. He mm-hmm. needs 16 baths a day yeah. at precise intervals. <laughs> yeah. He needs a bathtub large enough to do a somersault, and I mean, it's crazy what she's managing.
1: Yeah. Okay, so she, I just, the, that part, like, I don't know why that stuck out to me so much, but, Like, she literally got, I've been saying literally like 12 times already. Um, you are
2: literally... Invited to say literally so much well, thank you, you. Of
1: course. Um, I noticed another word I said all was time is absolute, when I'm editing stuff. I'm like, I say absolutely yeah. a thousand times. <laughs> At
2: least you can edit it. That's true. <sighs> I don't, though. True. I
1: just leave a bed. I'm like, whatever. Every day. Um, I'm like, authenticity. Okay. Yeah. But uh, she goes on a ship with another man.
2: There's several others, but this one. a yes. fellow.
1: But can you kind of like, can you sort of talk about that, oh, that sure. trip a little bit? It's oh, very... definitely.
2: It's very real. I mean, like I said, I'm here to excavate important women from the past Mm -hmm. and bring out their contributions and their modern-day struggles, but it's not just all rosiness because real people are complex Mm -hmm. and they have some downsides. So what happened was, this is kind of in that those darker years you know mm. everyone calls them his wilderness years but um i want that i want, it want to, to like go on a, like
1: a decade-long bender and i like, have it be some whimsical <laughs> right. name for okay. it like oh those <laughs> are just my appellation <laughs> yeah <laughs> sure exactly.
2: sure for Forrest... no, women don't get wilderness years well okay? I, <laughs> there, there <laughs> are no Neither she had, she, a, she had a komodo dragon season well, yeah. <laughs> i feel
1: like i'm working on eggshells
2: with you too <laughs> We're, we're just we're just we're, here for a reality. It's show. Uh-huh. That's important. Okay, so Winston is, Winston is out of power, right? Mm-hmm. And um, he has been like ringing the gong about the Nazis, and no one wants to listen, right? You've got Prime Minister Chamberlain. He thinks the British people have zero appetite for another war. So Hitler is continuously up against the Treaty of Versailles, but he is c- allowed to continue because Chamberlain won't call him to task. And Winston, um, of course, Winston being Winston, is not going to go quietly into that dark night. He is going to continue with his speeches and his articles, and um, so he's completely out of power. And this is a man who, from childhood, thinks that he is going to be the savior of England. He had a premonition as a kid, right? Which turns out to be true, but maybe other people have that premonition. <laughs> it really they're in an asylum, but he. So he is. He wants to be in power. Needs to be in power. He's stuck at their. You know, countryside spot, Chartwell, which is a, a money pit extraordinaire. Mm-hmm. They never have any money. You know, they're always struggling for cash. Not in a way that real people struggle for cash, but people of their class right. struggle for, right. struggle yeah, for cash. Yeah, they can't
1: always drink the fine champagne that he likes. They it's can't always issue.
2: have Paul Rogier or whatever yeah. it's called. Their children are a hot mess because, you know, the parenting that went on for the older three wasn't exactly optimal. Poor Mary's <laughs> the only one that came out smelling like a rose. And he, he when he doesn't have someone else to bandy his ideas about, she's his target practice, you know? And she gets, or they get an invitation to go on Lord Baron Moyne, who's a Guinness heir, his yacht, the Rosara, to the East Indies to hunt Komodo dragons mm-hmm. for the London Zoo. What we all do on our vacations, right? As one right? does. Yeah, As one does, you hunt <laughs> Komodo dragons, right? So he gets the invitation for both of them. They had been on the yacht before for other uh, other explorations and um he can't go because he's a deadline they're supporting themselves through his writing at this point um and she would normally never go without him or unless it's something that she was invited to by herself but she's like i have got to get the heck out of dodge <laughs> this place is a hot bed. it's about to explode and so she goes mm-hmm. and um it's a multi-month extravaganza she has to leave before christmas which is like pretty bad on Mm -hmm. her part um at least she thinks so i don't i don't judge her no judgment and um so she gets on board and for the beginning stretch it's really just pretty much her and this art dealer terrence phillips and these two form an unbelievable bond Mm -hmm. um there have been many speculations about what happened certainly i would say she fell in love with him um I don't know that he was romantically inclined towards her, mm-hmm. whether out of choice or whether because he was not attracted to women. Hard to know. Um, I, ch- based on the research I did, I kind of went with the tactic that he was not um, interested in women, mm-hmm. um, but he would have, if he had been. He would have. They would have made a really excellent fit. But the way that they interacted together, the sort of lightness and different in topic matters Mm -hmm. really started to make her think differently about her life. And she really considered leaving him during that, that Mm -hmm. long hunt for Komodo dragons. Uh, and, um, she, which by the way, to hunt, I do talk about in the book to hunt Komodo dragons, you have to have like, it's disgusting. You have to have, like, a live animal in a trap, and you're sitting there waiting for it to be eaten by the dragon. It's gross. So that was not the glamorous part of the trip by any stretch. (laughs) But it gave an excuse for the adventure. Mm -hmm. Um, And she did decide to come back, obviously, or she wouldn't have been the prime minister's wife. Um, And I think, in my mind, she came back because she found a way to kind of reconnect with him in her Mm -hmm. mind. I mean, I think, like, when you think about how they came together at first – It was really this shared passion for politics, Mm -hmm. this shared sort of desire to do something bigger in the world. And then, of course, the undercurrent was the similarities in their background. You know, they were both born aristocratic, but they actually had no money of their own. And they were born to mothers who had a much greater interest in the romantic dalliances than they had in parenting, Mm -hmm. right? Well, yeah. As you would in that sure, time. Sure, of course. So, you know, they, they really had so many similarities. And as the years progressed, and he switched political parties, he was out of power. The things that kind of knitted them together and gave her a sense of purpose had sort of started mm-hmm. to fall away um, right before this trip. And I think when she came back, she kind of committed... Um, to him and to their family, but also this is sort of when Chartwell really became, their, their home, became the pub. for the, hub, hub. the Listen pub. to me. Is that English? That's extremely English. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very like, what is it, like Freudian slip? And yeah, again, Freudian slip. It, it came live. to hub. It might have also have been, been a pub. There, a a, pub. there was I mean, a lot Wednesday. of drinking yeah. that went <laughs> on there.
1: Fair amount of alcohol.
2: I don't think they had like a tap, but you know, you like champagne, been, well, that yeah. was happening pretty much 24-7, yeah. um, as one does when you have champagne with breakfast. Um, so anyway, say, the, it, became, oh, mimosa, the, it became a hub for anti-Hitler um, sentiments, and they started to gather information. He had started to, but really began in earnest at that point. And I think that was really kind of what knitted them back together again. Um, but it was it was a real rough batch. Did they? Correct me if I'm wrong. Did they meet? Hitler? Or they almost did? So in real life in real life, they were supposed to meet Hitler. So right. there's a scene in the book when they're in Germany doing research um, and uh, his press secretary who is a, a German last name that I cannot pronounce, so I will not butcher it, but he had, um, he happened to be at a bar at the hotel right. where they were staying and he had already happened to meet Winston's son again these things are not coincidences um and there was an effort to orchestrate an actual meeting and that was the one time he almost meet, met Hitler mm-hmm. so I had to include that scene in the yeah, book because sure. it's so huge and if they're in they can see with their own eyes the rise mm-hmm. the rise of Hitler's brown shirts which were really his unofficial army
1: mm-hmm.
2: so I mean they were right there in the thick of everything that was happening Gestures widely yeah, to everything really. going on currently. Uh, well, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, did you go
0: to London for any research? Oh heck, yeah. Because I remember when I went when I was in high school, we went um, into
2: like the tunnels or whatever, the, bu- the war bunker, the war bunker. Mm. It was Which is so, amazing, right? It was so cool. It's yeah. so so. It's this you know when you're in the top of it, it's like this totally innocuous office building, looks like anything could be a bunch of dentist's office on the mm-hmm. first floor, and you go down this like secret stairway and it's a massive warren of tunnels and rooms and i mean i spent a lot of time in london in the countryside um, researching the book but what i loved about that and when i do talks i often will do visuals because i think it's really powerful um is that you know here you have the hub you know once the blitz hits they can't stay in number 10 downing street anymore and the whole war effort really moves to this this bunker this underground series of rooms and here's the map room, which is, like, really the, the total hub, not the pub. The hub. <laughs> pub hub. The hub of the hub. <laughs> the hub of the pub or the pub of the hub. I'm sure there was some drinking down there, too. <laughs> and it's World War II, and every decision, all the key people are down there. That's where everything is being run from. And Clementine's room is right there. hmm you know, and of course, hers is the only one that's slightly decorated. It has, like, a <laughs> chenille chair, a flowered bedspread. But, you know, it really shows you how she is. At, and that's just not for her protection. It's because Winston... You know, needed her there, Mm -hmm. 24/7 on call, to help run decisions. I mean, I'm not saying she was the only political decision maker, but when it was time to make tough decisions, he always ran everything by her. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I saw so many incredible things. You know, their home, Chartwell, Blenheim Palace, which is this incredible uh, estate, his Winston's family estate, where they got engaged. I often think that he wanted to propose to her at this place. It's called Blenheim Palace. It's the only non royal residence that has the designation palace huh. because he wanted to hide the fact that he actually had no cash. Oh. Right. Look where we're getting engaged. Sure. Right? Okay. We don't really have any money. Yeah. So. <laughs> you know, she didn't give it a second thought. She literally had no money. I mean yeah. she lived in a in an apartment above a fishmonger shop when she was growing up. I mean she really didn't have any cash. And, you know, by her standards he had a little bit more. But you know, they were supposed to be living this life as sort of society figures slash politicians mm-hmm. which usually came to those posts with their own income and the salary was just kind of extra they were like barely getting by on just the salary it was they they came the two of them were so alike and different in many ways but they brought to that position at that particular time her in particular a really unique perspective because of her upbringing not having money living back and forth across england and france Having this unusual hybrid of aristocratic and working class, she, she had a job. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was a French tutor and a seamstress. She had to earn money to support her family. Mm-hmm. Other girls of her class were not I mean, doing you know, that. Yeah. They were, you know, being presented to society and trying to find husbands, you know? Um, so she brought to this role a really unusual perspective for someone of her, of her class. And that really, I think, helped him make good decisions sometimes, too.
1: So I'm imagining you got access to letters and all these various things. So I'm just curious. Yeah. I feel like you're like the queen of research when it comes to this kind of stuff. <laughs> Thank so I'm you. Curious.
2: I'll take a title.
1: Yeah. I'm curious. Like, did you, like, how did you get access to that kind of stuff? Where did you find it? you said you spent a lot of time, obviously, in London. But like, yeah. where?
2: Well, there's archives mm-hmm. at Cambridge, some in Oxford, that have a lot of the letters. Um, that said... You can't get all the letters. Yeah, You know, there's certain... There's actually a huge volume that's public, that's been published, of the letters between Clementine and Winston. I'm sure the family has withheld several, not for, you know, safety reasons. Yeah. Probably there's less flattering depictions going on in there. But what was amazing about... You know, I love my letters. That's really my original Mm -hmm. source material. It's where you get the closest thing to the person's voice. And I was lucky with here that there were so many because... Winston and Clementine wrote to each other constantly. And it wasn't only because they traveled and traveled separately a lot, but because they kept such different hours. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh-huh. he was a night owl. And I mean, by night owl, I mean, he was up to like three o'clock, would get up late, and then would take this super long afternoon nap. I mean, he had a schedule, but it was different from everybody else's schedule. Sure. Um, and she liked to go to bed early, and she got up early. So they were, they would, eat some meals together not breakfast they had lunch and dinner together some days not every day but they were always leaving notes to each other even when they were in the same house for extended periods and a lot of those notes were kept as well Mm -hmm. so you have an incredible record of their lives not just when they're apart but when they're together too which is so unusual and it's in those letters that you can really see just like with the Malay of americ that the language that these two speak isn't just you know the language of housekeeping and affection Mm -hmm. although There are some really cute little illustrations they caught it called each other cat and pug yeah and I highly recommend for people who are interested (laughs) they would write little I mean they would describe each other as this cat or pug yeah and then they would draw pictures as a cat or a pug it's really kind of cute in its own way but and it really makes them very human I mean here's this like blunderbuss of a man with a cigar Mm -hmm. and a hat Sloppily, you know, and they really had the same. I wish everyone role. could see your
1: pantomimes. This <laughs> is an audio visual, but you just had the best. Like, I, mean, so good.
2: I think we know. We yeah. know. But um, the letters, what they're really talking about in a lot of the letters, aside from family stuff, is po- political stuff. Mm-hmm. They're talking about she's advising him. She's telling him, hey, there's a great letter from World War II um, in which she, she basically says, your staff has come to me and you've got to cut it out. <laughs> because now, of course, that's not the language she uses, but she's like, You're gonna alienate everybody. This has got to stop. You're treating them all horrifically. This so I mean, this is the kind of stuff she's involved in. She's involved in staff matters. They're talking about political views, things that they've read, people to approach, ways to get at their end game, right? And she's right there alongside them. You know, she's really. His partner in wooing the americans um, in the lend lease act which ultimately pro- provided financial and military aid to england when they were standing alone against the nazis she became super tight to all of fdr's key men as part of their plan to woo them to their point of view i mean that wasn't just her and Harry Hopkins becoming BFFs, there was a there was a purpose to that. Mm. Same with her and Eleanor becoming friends, um, Eleanor Roosevelt, which they did. They did become friends. But I have to say the one thing that I couldn't really reference in the book is copyright laws, which I invite anybody who's, who's interested. I referenced the fact of it, but I couldn't quote from the letter. Um, there's a great moment in which uh, Clementine is really frustrated with Winston. Um, I won't get into the details, but there's just suffice it to say there's many frustrations, Uh but he is, um, he's like Prime Minister Asquith's go-to person. This is when he's on the rise. He's not quite Lord Admiral in World War One. She's his political partner, but Asquith's um, daughter has like a crush on Winston and she doesn't like them to be together. It's a whole thing. Anyway, (laughs) he goes anyway to some party he's not supposed to because Violet's going to be there. And um, there's this horrible letter. And it's an op-ed piece in the Times, in the London Times, basically saying why women sh- women shouldn't have the vote, basically that they're inferior creatures in every single way. And she decides, she's so frustrated and powerless by her situation, she writes the most scathing, witty, (laughs) unbelievable response, to this op-ed piece, which is published, and it basically is like, it takes his argument to the extreme and says, well, based on your argument, of course women shouldn't really even exist. And she really just takes it to task. And this letter, which you can access online, but I couldn't quote, um, is such a powerful example of her her intellect her her views what she found important and the fact that she was willing i mean her peers were not writing op-ed pieces Mm -hmm. to the times right right? she's going to go to whatever lengths to really um to take her make her viewpoint known maybe motivated a little bit by anger at being you know out of the mix but um she's just she was really an incredible person you know she was somebody who had this keen interest in politics, stymied by her time to mm-hmm. actually be a politician. She, at different points, was quoted as saying if she had lived in a different age, she would have been a politician mm-hmm. herself. She couldn't be. Mm-hmm. She was. She had a husband who believed in her, which I wish that wasn't necessary, but it was for the time. And because of that, she plunged into the political world and cobbled together, actually, an enormous amount of power for herself behind the scenes and rose up and took on projects that other that she thought were important but maybe weren't getting enough attention and didn't wait for people to invite her to do them just Mm -hmm. did them and really created um, a role of prime minister's wife that I don't think ever existed to that point and I highly doubt has ever existed since. Mm -hmm. Um, You know they don't have in England a first lady like we do. The um, the wife of the prime minister is kind of an amorphous Mm -hmm. role. Um, so I think she kind of took that vacuum and filled it with power. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that other people's sense have quite done that same thing.
1: Um, we always ask you like, what's, you know, what do you hope people take away? But obviously the takeaway from these are all kind of the same as like yeah. organizing these powerful women. So like first, the first thing I want, this is, like one last thing I want to ask, do you have time to read books that aren't for research? Because you that do that like one of these a year. Like, I know. Do you get I to, because
2: between promotion yeah
1: and writing it's crazy. it's
2: crazy am i crazy or what i mean you seem to have
1: fun doing it i do i I wouldn't
2: do it if i didn't love it and i'm on a mission you know what i mean (laughs) i really feel like you know we need to do whatever we can to make sure that a variety of voices are being heard and if i do my job right then maybe we'll have you know people will take kind of the, the fresh lens that they're looking at history or a particular woman Mm -hmm. in history and then they'll use that lens to look at other women and then maybe they'll look at our own time a little differently you know if if we know that women have always been capable of these things then why do we doubt that they can do them now, right? So, it's just one of those many- are the
0: questions. Yeah, those are the questions.
2: And that's why I'm so happy that I, have, you know, I have a broad readership. And mm-hmm. for for the more people that read my books, the more people they'll start to look at the world mm-hmm. around us in the past a little bit differently. So that's really my mission. That's what I hope the takeaway is. But that actually wasn't your question, was it, Adam? Your question was, "Do I read?" <laughs> well,
1: no, 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 not do you read? <laughs> I
2: know I'll go off need. on my mission you yeah. anytime. You have time to read, like okay. So- so I'm going to confess something. Maybe I've told you guys this before, but I'll say it. Um, I am like a crazy fast reader. If I have been given any gift in my life, oh, just from childhood, yeah. I'm a crazy, crazy fast reader. Mm-hmm. That's how I do a book a year yeah. for mm-hmm. a book that involves an incredible amount of research because I can just process mm-hmm. it super fast. And that's why, yes, I do still read. And like I it. listen, yeah. obviously. Oh, yeah. I'm a huge listener. Okay, I And I... Love listening. I just listened to. It. I never thought I'd do it. Richard Powers, The Overstory. If you mm-hmm. got, mm-hmm. I'm not. No. Oh my gosh! <laughs> you people need to read, listen to that. People. Come on, that was, and so many books like are met. Like right now, I'm listening to The Water Dancer by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Ta-Nehisi Coates, yeah. I mean wow some of these books are meant to be listened to yeah his like mastery of voices mm-hmm. and intonations bring the characters mm-hmm. alive in a way that would never happen on the page so i listen i read i have you guys everywhere i was just curious
1: because i um we both have work in progress books and we have to read for the podcast all the time and i feel like all the wait time wait a second you're both writing, writing books um, Yes, whoa, we'll, whoa, come, back whoa, we'll whoa, come back to whoa. that after we're not recording.
2: I know about Jill, you know, but I haven't heard about we'll Adam.
1: About but like my point is, if come I'm not out. writing, if I'm reading, I feel guilty that I should be writing. And if I'm writing, I feel guilty that I should be reading for the podcast. So I imagine you probably feel the
2: same way as, I do, as an but, author. Okay, but here's the deal, whether this is for the podcast or not. I feel like in order to write, you need to be reading really good literature right. at all times. Yeah. I mean, I really just... Dis- I cannot often read in my genre. That's probably the biggest problem. Mm-hmm. This should not be on there, but it's no, hard. No, that's not... That's a very it's, common that's thing. That's Is not, yeah. it? Okay. Oh, it's very, okay. yeah. That's a very, very common thing. And, and I will read... You know, I, I'm fortunate enough. A lot of people ask me to do blurbs for them now, yeah. and I'll read those. And sometimes I will read somebody I really like. Mm-hmm. Like, I really like Kate Quinn or Pam Jenoff, and I'll read their books. But... Um, Mostly I have to read outside it because otherwise their style, mm-hmm. their structure yeah. might permeate what I'm doing, yep. right? So I have to be careful with that. But I am I write better when I'm reading really good books. And mm-hmm. when I'm on a stretch where I'm really trying to focus just on writing, which, admittedly, <laughs> doesn't happen that often, um, then I'm reading a lot of really good stuff. You know, I really am. But... I'm also reading, research, but here's the other thing. As as you two are both writing, you know, and you also have full-time jobs, your job never ends. Yeah. -hmm. Right? I mean, because if you're writing a book, you always could be writing. Mm -hmm. Is there a time when you could be sitting binge-watching Netflix, you know, the Watchmen, you're going to be feeling guilty as you're just, doing that. I just
1: told Joel this morning I I finally discovered the Great British Baking Show. Oh my gosh. And I'm terrified because there's 10 seasons of it. But yes, that's... But
2: that can be on the that's background. background. That's a good background. That's one. like, a, oh, I'm in London now. Yeah, yeah that's a good background. That's, right? that's totally fine. If you're going to watch like, watch, like The Handmaid's Tale yeah. or have you guys watched The Watchmen? Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, it's, mm. it's a perfect season oh my God. of television.
2: There, it's There's so many things to watch. I And it's... It's like, how yeah. do you, every time I turn that on, I have to be doing something else because I can't, you know, you know you really should be writing.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, or researching or reading or you know, doing your actual right. books. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, the book is wonderful. Thank you, you so much. You are wonderful.
2: It is totally mutual, and as you guys
1: know that. we can't wait for the fifth time that you come on the podcast. So that thank you done for
2: already. Thank do you want to know what it's about?
1: Is that the I one? Do uh, this on oh, here? Fine.
2: Fine you can talk one. about you it. You mentioned oh, yeah. one
0: last
1: Okay. January, yeah. What's the next one before continue. we stop recording? I'll let you end with that. Yeah. So
2: the one that comes out next January, which actually it's been done for so many months. I actually just got the cover for it, which I'll show you guys online. Yeah. yeah. So what you, yeah, think yeah. If you want. I'd love to hear what you guys Absolutely. think. Absolutely. Um, so it's about Agatha Christie. Yes, that's what I thought. That's you right. mentioned okay. it. Is it her
0: missing mm-hmm. like the week when she's missing? Yes. yes. You mentioned that last time you were And here. I
2: have had, I have had so much fun oh. writing that book. It's super fun. So I wrote it as, so basically for those of you, I mean, everyone knows Agatha Christie, right? She's. If, if they
1: missed, this is right? a
2: podcast, you're Or if you're a person out. in the world, yeah. you know, Agatha Christie, right? <laughs> she's the most successful author of all time, but not everybody knows that she actually disappeared. In a situation torn from the pages of long-running yep. novels, when she was a relatively young author, right after her third book, who um, the murder of Roger Ackroyd came out, and um, it was in crazy circumstances. She goes missing. Her car is found early the next morning, running on the side of a cliff. Her belongings strewn about. Um, the biggest manhunt in England's history is launched to try and find her. To no avail until she just as mysteriously reappears on the 11th day no one knows what really happened or why people have made many suppositions mm-hmm. over the year so the book in many ways is like all my books you know which i like to think of like my ladies as superheroes and these are their origin stories sure. right so but what the book does is it takes those 11 days and it examines her life through that lens so as we're fig- we're learning what's really happening during those 11 days um, we're learning the, basically her origin story, how she came up, how she became the writer that she was, what led up to this disappearance. And then at the end, without giving away too much, it's obviously written as a mystery suspense. Um, it's the story of a woman reclaiming her own history and her own nice. narrative. Oh man, which is I'm so un- excited, which is unusual for my books. I just felt like after writing and the ones that are coming because I have like four other ones in progress. Of course, you do. Um, <laughs> a bit more, yeah. The four other ones in progress—they're—they're they're all more traditional, more about historical women that we haven't heard about. Agatha Christie is someone that we've heard about, but we really have no idea what made her the person that she is. Yep. And it's, I wanted to do a story about a woman writing herself back into history, which is, I think, what she did. I so oh, love yeah. So excited so for excited. the podcast. No it's offense to everyone fun. listening, but
1: sorry, we get the podcast perk of we're going to get to read that like five times. That is like ready else.
2: like practically now. So you'll be getting that soon. <sighs> you can ask. Know, I'm like, going <laughs> to, yeah.
1: All right. Well, <laughs> I'm going to stop recording oh, yeah. here. So
2: thank you thank for you guys joining so us much. today. Thank you.